Welcome to Babbittville Radio, a place where you'll hear great conversations with the world's best and most inspirational runners, triathletes, and cyclists. Endurance lives here. Now, here's your host, USA Triathlon and Ironman Triathlon Hall of Famer, Bob Babbitt. Welcome to Babbittville Radio. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by UCAN, smarter energy to finish stronger, by VeloFix, the world's coolest mobile bike shops, by Norma Tech, by Form Goggles, and by our Challenged Athletes Foundation. We just sent out 3,921 grants, totaling $5.9 million. Keep Challenged Athletes in the Game of Life through sport. Check us out on Babbittville.com, all your favorite podcast apps. As always, endurance lives here. Our next guest, just one of the most decorated triathletes in history. She won ITU World Championships in 90, 95, and 96. She won the Ironman World Championship in 1995. Her name is Karen Smyers. Karen, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Bob, for having me on. Always a pleasure, Karen. Hey, so take me back to when, when did you start running, like through high school? Uh, I actually started as a swimmer, um, and that was my main sport, although I tell you I dabbled in everything in uh, junior high and high school. I played field hockey, I did gymnastics, I played tennis, um, and uh, only when I got to college did I decide to, well, I kind of had, I wasn't good enough in the other sports, so I focused on swimming, um, but I, after my freshman um, winter, the swimming ended, I found myself without a sport, and I couldn't take it. <laughs> so my college roommate was a runner, and she convinced me I should just uh, walk onto the spring track. So that's kind of how I started running. The, so I ended up running um, track just in the spring for yeah. um, you know most uh, three out of four years of college. So no cross country. No, no, because it conflicted with swimming. So oh, that's can, right. Please. Yeah. You would have gone uh, crazy. We did. We yeah. did a little running for swim tra- uh, the swim team. That was our preconditioning. We did some running, and uh, that's what kind of gave me the idea that I liked running. Um, I was one of the better runners of the swimmers, which is a very low bar, <laughs> but it also it did give me the kind of a taste for it. Wait, wait, growing up, were you one of those kids who was like, I I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be. I want to go to the Olympics. Was did that ever enter your mind? You know, I definitely thought of the Olympics, um, but it was in, you know, any every sport that I happened to be watching at the time, I'd be like, I'd like to do that. So <laughs> I was not necessarily, um, uh, you know, a dream that was going to come true when I was dreaming about being a tennis player because I was just never that good. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, I, I remember distinctly one time in my driveway, I had my bicycle, my tennis racket, and my baseball glove. And I remember thinking, these are the only three things I need to be happy in the world. I could just, you know, it was the summertime, and I was biking over to play, you know, in the uh, baseball with some uh, little girls team. And I would bike over and um, play tennis on the tennis league. Um, I also would bike over to the gymnastics and swim team practice. So, um, yeah, I was definitely a multi-sport athlete from early on. So as a multi-sport athlete, when did you get exposed to this sport of triathlon? So when I graduated from college, that same roommate that was the runner, she was also um, did some swimming, and she found out about the Bud Light Triathlon in Boston, and we we had moved to Boston together, and uh, 
she decided instead of getting a summer job that she was going to train for this triathlon that had some prize money. So this is in 1983. And uh, so she, I was like, wow, that's interesting. What's a triathlon, you know? And so anyway, she she trained for it. She did well enough to earn some, some money. And uh, I'm like, I'm giving this thing a try. So we started kind of training and going to races together in the, back in the 80s. And uh, I did that same Bud Light Triathlon the next year in Boston, 84. Yep. And um, when I raced, I would have finished second overall. Well, I did finish second overall, but they, they didn't call me up for the prize money. Because you're and, an age grouper. Uh, so they gave me, you know, top in my age group or whatever. And so I went up to the race director. I'm like, I think I beat that girl that got second. You know, why didn't I get the money? And he's like, oh, you didn't enter in the pro category. And I was like, well, how do you do that? And he's like, next time on the entry form, check the pro box. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> there you go. And that was it. Pro. That's how easy it was back then. But I know. I raced as a pro. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did USTS Chicago. And I'm like, you know what? If I race as a pro, I get to go off earlier. And those guys will drop me, and I'll just be riding Lakeshore Drive by myself. That would be pretty sweet, <laughs> which I did. It was great. It was the yeah, best. Yeah. Rather than waiting, my age group would have gone off at, like, what, noon or oh, something. Oh, I know. On those, that 37 race. waves. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. See, so, I would have gone for the age group because I could have slept in. <laughs> it, it, see, I know. You're, you're like me. So when did you feel that, okay, I, I could be pretty good at this? Um, well, I would say, you know, after that, race where I got second. Yep. I mean, there were people like, I think it was Diane Israel won. So, you know, people had come from Bolt, from Colorado and stuff to race. Right. Um, you know, I didn't, I had no idea then, but I thought this is really a fun hobby and I want to do more of this and I might as well check the pro box. But I, um, I, I would say the race that really kind of made me open my eyes to what I could accomplish was um, Dave McGillivray put on a race called the Bay State Triathlon and yep. it also had some prize money. And um, he brought in a bunch of, you know, he brought in Scott Tinley and Colleen Cannon and um, some big names that I had only seen in magazines, you know. And uh, I ended up winning and I passed um, Allison Rowe on the run. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah, legendary. Legendary. Champion, yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I was like, uh, I mean, that surprised the heck out of me, and uh, and I think that's where you know, Dave McGillivray also was like, you know who you beat today? <laughs> yeah. like, you've got to take this a little more seriously. Yeah. And still, that was 1985, and I, I had definitely some learning, uh, a learning curve after that. Like, um, I kept, you know, my swimming sometimes, I would end up having little panic attacks or trying too hard and get dropped in the swim or... Um, it took me a long time to really get good at the biking. I think I lucked out at the base state because it was kind of my home course. Um, but once I started going to some of the bigger pro races, I was getting just killed on the bike. And so um, it wasn't until probably 89 that that started clicking for me. And what changed it for you? Well, the biking, you know what it was? I mean, I'd never been coached and um, in biking. and You know, running and swimming, I'd had sure. at least some coaching, and I joined a running club when I got to Boston, so I had um, people to train with. But biking, I was kind of figuring it out on my own. And, you know, back then there was no Internet, so it's no. not like you'd look things up. And there were no training programs. I mean, we everybody was figuring it out for themselves back then. And... Um, so I just, I think I was just kind of a slow learner. <laughs> uh, but I also, looking back, I, I shot myself in the foot a little bit in that I didn't buy myself nice equipment. I was using, you know, kind of a bike that I had um, 
uh, it was actually one that I won. It was a decent bike. I, I actually I got a Bianchi, but um, it was just training, you know, training wheels, not the kind like the four extra wheels. <laughs> right, 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 right. Wheels that weren't meant for racing, and um, you know, people would laugh at me if I would show up at the pro starting line. They're like, Karen, when are you going to get some race wheels? I'm like, oh, I'm not a good enough biker to get good equipment. You know, I kind of felt like I had to earn it a little bit. Yep. Like, is, I know a little bit the opposite of what people do nowadays, but yeah, I mean that's um, it's funny because so back. I think yeah, I was yeah. holding myself back a tiny bit, but it was also yeah, just the training finally started to click. I think. Also, it, it was an era of where where equipment did matter. All of a sudden, wetsuits come in, and you know, and like you said, race wheels and aero, pe- yeah. you know, the pedals and the bars and all that. It made it made a big difference. Yeah, and, and I was yeah. never. I was always sort of a just uh, rely on myself to push harder, you know, I, right. I don't know, I, I was always, I didn't like change all that much, because I, I always felt like something could go wrong if you change something, so right. I was like, I want to go with the tried and true, you know, if I just push harder, I ought to be able to keep up, you know. Exactly. Now, um, were you coaching yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, for triathlon, I was always coaching myself, but, um, you know, I'd had enough background in swimming that I kind of yes. knew what to do and I did finally start swimming with uh, various master's programs in the area but that took a while for me to start doing that um, and I did one year but it wasn't until gosh uh, late, middle of the 90s I worked with Mike McCormick a little bit um, he won Ironman Canada a couple yep. times yeah. and uh, unfortunately I never really got to put his training to use too much because that was right around when I had all my accidents <laughs> right so, um, but I learned a lot from him in terms, especially he was big on using copy trainer right. or indoor training. And, um, that's paid off big time for me because now I do a lot of coaching with the copy trainer and stuff and right. he taught me a lot about how to use that and effectively. So going into the IT world championships at, in Disney, right? This is the second night, 89 there. Now, did you race Avignon? Yep, yep. I uh, that was actually a breakthrough race for me. So that was right when I finally got my first. Uh, I used a disc wheel that I think Dave McGillivray scored for me, and um, so I had you know I upgraded my equipment a little bit. It's the first time that I actually you know passed other people on the bike. <laughs> um, so I finished fourth. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I, that was huge for me. That is huge. That was the first ever, and then uh, first ever worlds, and then next year was Disney. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, you know, when I finished fourth, yeah. I thought, wow, I'm in the prize money, you know, top ten in the world, this is unbelievable, but it was a little bit like the Olympics, you know, they honored the top three, and I was like, wait a minute, fourth was pretty good. You got nothing? <laughs> there was no money for fourth? Yeah, I kind of came away from that race thinking, oh, God, i got to get into the top three to really have it made, you know, so going wow. into Orlando, I definitely had that in my head. And so in that race, uh, one, it was like 1,000 degrees, right? It was, it was hot, and you seemed to do well in heat. And I remember— I didn't think I did well in heat really? then. I mean, I cursed it, man. I hated it. You weren't—yeah, so if you, it was hot out, you were thinking, oh, my God, not my day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I started out well. I had a good swim, and I had a great bike, and I came off. Aaron Baker had gotten um, ahead on the bike. She had a, maybe a minute lead. Mm-hmm. Um, off the bike, but um, she had done an Ironman only a couple weeks before, so we all knew she might be vulnerable. She was just, you know, at her right. best. I kind of thought she was untouchable, but we were hoping that there's a chance that she would be somewhat human <laughs> yeah. after her Ironman. 
but didn't seem to hold her back on the bike too much. Um, but on the run, um, I came off tied with a few other people, kind of, or in the vicinity of other people. And I started off, had a quick transition. I was second onto uh, the run course. And I was, like, already envisioning what I was going to wear on the podium, you know. <laughs> um, but it was a little early to be counting my chickens. And uh, Joy Hansen and Carol Montgomery passed me after about a mile. And um, I tried to stay with them, and I just couldn't. They started to open up a gap. And that's when the heat started to really kind of get into my head more than anything. I mean, it was certainly hot, but everybody was dealing with it. But I started making a lot of excuses as to why I shouldn't be able to run in the heat and that it was unfair that they were putting it in Florida in August and starting us at noon. And, you know, I was just uh, in a really bad negative headspace because um, I also was in fourth, which is the one place I didn't want to be, you know. Yep. Um, and uh, I ended up uh, getting some very – Good, a good wake-up call from Scott Molina, who was out on the course cheering, and uh, he cheered for me, and I, I kind of scowled at him, like, do you know how hot it is out here? And he was like, uh, you're in fourth, and there's two, second and third, they're like 15 seconds ahead of you. And uh, he, he's like, Karen, you got to want it. And uh, it just cut through my, you know, uh, self-pity uh, <laughs> right to my brain. I was like, oh, my God, I've trained for a year only thinking about this race and getting top three, and it's right in front of me, and I'm worried about feeling a little hot. <laughs> so I just it kind of gave me a shift of mindset, and I just started trying to reel them back in and managed to reel them back in. Just um, I was They passed Aaron. I kind of didn't wasn't even realizing that Aaron was faltering because I was so focused on them, but found myself passing Aaron. And then just closed in on them with about a half mile to go, and there was a little uphill, and I just decided to go for it and sprinted by them. And Carol Montgomery looked at, at Joy and said, Karen's back, <laughs> like I'd been risen from the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Karen's back. She's probably thinking, all right, where am I going to do my sprint? We're heading yeah, towards I the finish. After they had passed Aaron, yeah. I think they ran together the whole time, side yep. by side pretty much. And so I think they, I caught them at a point where they were focused on each other. And so when I just sort of went by, they weren't really, they were gathering their resources and looking at each other. And then I took them by surprise. And I mean, thank God I didn't wait to sprint because there's no way Carol, I, I would have out sprinted Carol. But um, so I just took them by surprise with a half mile to go and opened a gap before they knew what was happening and managed to hang on. Um, so yeah, it was pretty cool. That, I mean, it's funny cause it's when you come up behind somebody, sometimes it's like, well, wait, 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 should I sit here? Should I go? And did any of that go through your mind? It was like, you know what? I'm just going. Yeah. I was not really thinking. I think it was just that my momentum sort of when I passed Aaron and then I think it was also just this uphill that I just, I was closing on them and I just was like, you know what? I mean, it couldn't have been much of a hill, right, in Florida? Right. But um, I think it was just that I decided to kind of go with my momentum. And I think there is a little bit that if you've closed on someone and then you sit there, that they know that you had to do a hard effort to close Mm -hmm. and they start thinking, oh, you know, she's not as strong as I think. But if you catch up and pass then they think wow she has a second win she's really strong you know they give up so i guess i, I i'm thinking backwards now i have no idea if that really <laughs> went through my head i honestly think i was just 
in shock. <laughs> so then, then you're coming along, and you've got what Minnie and Mickey hanging out at the yeah, finish yeah. there. There was uh, it was right at Disney World, and uh, I remember Mickey Mouse being at the finish line of a big picture with Mickey. Um, but uh, my parents were there too, which was really nice, and they were at the finish line. And my mom says that when my dad saw me coming first towards the finish line, that he was like running alongside. I mean, he was not in the shoot, but he, she said that he looked like, you know, Yosemite Sam, like he would run 10 steps and then jump up in the air and run up another, like a cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> so winning that, obviously now you're, there is prize money. And did, did it change in terms of support for you in terms of more sponsorships, that type of stuff? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I all of a sudden became a, more of a, a full-time pro athlete. I mean, I had the other thing that did change for me in 89, which absolutely made a big difference. The reason I had that, part of the reason I had the breakthrough in Avignon um, was that my I was working full-time up until um, that summer. And that summer, the company that I worked for decided to, um, they weren't doing too well. And they went on half-time for the summer. And it gave me all this time to bike. I was fitting in the biking on weekends and, you know, an hour before work or something. So all of a sudden I could do a couple, a two-hour rides during the week and, you know, get in 10 hours for the week instead of um, five and that was what I needed to sort of give myself some endurance space in biking. Um, so um, I hadn't really worried too much about the making a living part before that because I was working full time. But when the company then finally ended up going bankrupt at the end of um, that summer, and um, so I said, oh, I could look for a new job or I could do this full time. And so it really helped. The fourth place in Avignon helped some, and then you know, winning a world championship definitely put me in you know, a position where, um, you know, Dave McGillivray became my manager and, you know, we were talking to Oakley, talking to Trek Bikes. I got, um, yeah, I, I kind of was able to really, the sponsorship became as important as the prize money after that. Sure. And what, what's always interesting to me is that era when you had in the early 90s, I think we had the Danskin Women's Triathlon Series. Yeah. We had the USTS Series. So really, you're in a position where you didn't have to go, because it was a, like a huge gap between doing an Olympic distance race and people, there was no, really not many 70.3s or things like that. No. Uh, you go to Kona, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a tough, that's a, it's, we're talking something that's, you know, it's four times times a distance yeah yeah. and for you to be thinking about were you even thinking about that distance at that point you know I I, you had to pay attention some because I mean I I was you know a little I was definitely late to the Ironman party in terms of not only um you know wanting to race it but also in terms of um, just recognizing what it all meant. Um, I read about, you know, some of the athletes and I definitely was kind of, um, I admired the people that were doing it. And, um, I really admired how much attention and money they made, you know? Um, and, but as far as wanting to do it, I just was, it wasn't even really occurring to me. I mean, I did Olympic distance for nine years and I finally decided to do Nice, I think, in the late 80s, um, which was, you know, maybe two-thirds, I right. guess, of an Ironman. Yep. Um, but that was, like, just, Ridiculous. you know, even an 80-mile bike ride for me, it was, or 75, yeah. whatever it was. It was it was so long. I just, I mean, doing more than 
two and a half hours on the bike was completely um, a stretch for me back then. Um, anyway, so I think there's some people that get into a sport like that and they just love pushing the envelope in terms of the endurance. I loved pushing the envelope as far as speed. You know, right. I, I loved track workouts. I loved um, doing 10-mile time trials on the bike. I loved doing, you know, my normal workouts in the pool. I didn't like going out and swimming two miles straight in the open water. You know, I was like, that's kind of boring. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I always I mean, loved I've, your... F- I've learned yeah. to, to, to like <laughs> the longer stuff sometimes, but... Uh, it still is not, um, it's pulling teeth for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell people all the time, you, one of the things you told me once was that it's better to be 10% undertrained and 1% overtrained. And, yeah. uh, you know, and people we know, because you work with a lot of age group athletes, I'm sure at times you, you look at these training logs of the age group athletes, you're going, that's more than I've ever done in my yeah, whole life. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and they're and, balancing and families. And full time. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's crazy. They're very disciplined and, you know. Yeah, I, I'm definitely not your typical professional <laughs> triathlete because I would always really try and figure out how can I get in shape for this event with the least training possible. You well, know? keep your speed. Uh, you want to keep your speed. That's really yeah, important yeah. if you do too many I, long I miles. Yeah. I just didn't love training for the sake of training. You know, I yep. like training for the sake of getting better, uh, but I also liked resting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, it's funny. We did this film um, called "We Are Triathletes," and Miranda Carfrey is being interviewed in the in the in the movie. And uh-huh. they they said, "So, what do you do for hobbies?" And she goes, "Listen, uh, I swim, I bike, I run, and you know, if I could just lay on the couch, yeah. th- that's what I want to do because yeah, yeah. what we do is a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't need anything else. Yeah, it's true. Yeah." <laughs> Yeah. So uh, when you came over to Ironman, first time in 94? Uh, so the first time I raced was yeah. in um, 93. 93, okay. So yeah. you raced it in 93. I over yeah. to watch one year after the, um, um, see, the ITU world yes. were in Honolulu. Australia. And oh, Australia, okay, yeah. flew to Hawaii to watch the um, Ironman like the week after or something. What'd you think? Uh, I would. That's what. That's what sold me on it. Oh, really? It Aaron Baker versus Paul Newby Frazier. Yep. And you know what? Up to this point, I had kind of envisioned Iron Man as this just supper fest. You right. know, it's just like who can put up with the most slogging through, you know, the miles. And when I saw how fast and how yep. exciting the race was between them, and how you know how much they were pushing each other i was like this is a freaking cool race that's true <laughs> like wow i i was i was blown away that for that amount of time they could go that fast yes you know? and so then um, you you so that was you then you came over the next year and took fourth yeah so yeah yeah i mean um i kind of uh, my husband and uh, my sister and a few training partners from um, Team Psycho had yes. all qualified at the Bay State Triathlon, and uh, that was back when you could qualify without having to do a full Ironman. Right. And um, so I had actually told my husband, uh, he, when he told me he wanted to try and qualify, I was like, for Hawaii? Really? 
<laughs> like, oh, God, you know, if you do it, then I'm definitely doing it. And so I don't want to go over and watch, you know. Right. So um, as soon as they all qualified, I was like, ah, i got to find a way to qualify. And uh, back then, the professional qualifying was a little bit. Yeah, um, you could get invited. <laughs> they would put up spots. It wasn't, you know, a lot of people didn't want to do it or right. it wasn't that hard to get a slot. So I think Mike Pig was in the same situation that he wanted a slot. And uh, Dave Yeats ended up putting up some slots at Chicago and said, you know, come on in. Win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I didn't end up winning, but uh, maybe it was McKeely or something. She's like, I don't want it. You can have it. <laughs> there you go. So when you did it and took fourth, what, what did you learn from that that helped you the following year? Yeah, well, uh, interestingly enough, I learned that you can't um, expect to do the entire marathon just drinking water, <laughs> which is what I tried <laughs> yeah. for the first uh, seven miles. You know, I was like, I, I, my stomach is very finicky. I won't be able to eat anything on the run, so I'm just gonna um, have you know have uh, some stuff on the bike. I had a good picnic basket on my front handlebars and some peanut butter and jellies and stuff, which turned out to not be very um, palatable in the Hawaii heat, but um, I also had some Snickers bars I managed to get down, which was good. But um, I ran the first, you know, five miles, I ran pretty well. And right around an hour in, um, I just started to lose it completely. And I remember at the beginning, my thought was like, wow, this event's even harder than I imagined. Like, I have no energy. My legs are just completely given out on me. And I thought it was just I hadn't trained enough. And, um, but I realized how much further I had to go. And after people, all these people I'd passed on the run in the beginning started to go by me. And I kind of started to get a little desperate thinking like, geez, if I keep going backwards like this, this is going to take me forever. And, uh, so I'm like, I better try something else. Maybe I need some calories and, you know, maybe I better risk that stomach upset. So I took some Coke, even though the rumor that I had heard beforehand, was, um, you know, don't drink Coke till the last, like, few miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll cause all kinds of, you know, sugar lows or whatever. Right. And I was like, I have no choice. I'm trying this. And it worked like rocket fuel. Rocket fuel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like, this is the best stuff ever. It's a funny, um, you mentioned that Chris McCormick was telling me he had you know, all these professional nutritionists and went through all this stuff and yeah, yeah. just kept bonking in Kona. And then he's, he's like 50 miles into the bike ride and Hell Regal is going by him and Mac is going backwards. And Helrico is like, drink some Coke. Oh, no, no. My, my nutritionist said, don't ever touch Coke. He goes, no, no, drink Coke. So he drinks it. He goes, oh, my God. I had the, like the best. I ran 249 off the bike and ran, finished yeah, six. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but people, sometimes your body just needs it. Yep, yep. That's so sure. wild. So anyways, uh, so you come back in 95 and knowing that you need to take some calories in. But uh, Well, yeah. let's see. So wait, wait, wait. So yeah, 93, I was fourth. Then ninety four, oh, I yes. came back knowing, yeah, that I needed some calories, yep. and you know, I had a little better feel for, you know, uh, you know how <laughs> the, what the top people were doing. In particular, I had my eye on, you know, wow, Paula, how is she managing? Because I got to race Paula at the shorter distance quite a bit, and I think that gave me a little more confidence. Than sure. Like, huh, you know, maybe if I figure, you know, how to pace myself, I, I ought to be able to do as well as her, you know, and. Um, naively as I was. Yes. And uh, so I kind of, you know, had my head like, I think, you know, if I can race with her in the shorter distance, I just need to figure out how she goes so fast in the long. <laughs> right. But, um, so I kind of had my eye on her in 94, and I was, I think I 
uh, yeah, I had a little trouble on the swim, so I came out a little bit behind. I got my goggles knocked off and stuff. But um, I had a much better run that year and actually, uh, you know, ran a little faster than some of the top people, I think. And um, so that gave me a lot more kind of experience and confidence. Um, still biking was my weakness compared to, and I think it was just like, yeah, not knowing how to train to be able to push for 112 miles fast, you know. Because it's also, funny. I think my positioning, yeah. I needed some work on just the right. aerodynamics of, you know, being able to hold that position for 112 miles too. Because I always thought of you as, you know, you were so so balanced, right? You're a really good runner, really good swimmer, and really strong on the bike. Well, I got stronger on the bike for sure, um, especially as we get the 40K distance. You know, I, yes. um, I definitely worked on, on that. And um, I think for Ironman distance, I think looking back, I was probably always a little short on mileage because I would always do Olympic distance too during the year. So I would often, um, you know, mostly I might have done a, I guess once they started having like a uh, shorter like this uh, Muncie 70.3 or Nice or I went to Zoffingen one. So sometimes I would find a longer distance race just to give me a little extra training in the spring. But then I would do mostly Olympic distance all summer. And then uh, at the very end, I'd be like, oh, time for Ironman training. Start biking over 80 miles again. (laughs) So I think in hindsight, maybe I could have used a little more mileage to kind of help my biking along. Um, but hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. <laughs> and, and you know, and back then, once you had gone, really, once you had gone Ironman and been, you know, uh, been up there, you you didn't have to go qualify, right? You you didn't have to. Right, right. You, have to, you had been in the top. I think it was top ten. Right. I think you got You're uh, the automatic back. back. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I really, I mean, I look at what some of the top oh, Ironman athletes do now and it's doing crazy. For a year or more, and sometimes you have to do that many to qualify for the ranking. I know. Although they've changed it now, the slot system. I think, I don't know. They both both systems have their uh, yes pluses and minuses. Well, you know, I I, I love the fact that you know someone back in the day, a Luke von Lierde, who had never run a marathon, never done an Ironman, comes over and breaks a course record, right? Yeah, yeah. That stuff and bringing people in, or, or you know. Uh, you never know. Chrissy Wellington yeah. comes I love over. seeing yeah. the ITU people move up. Totally. It just adds such a cool element. You know, it's like, because they are they're all, well, it depends on the, uh, I'd say, more often than not, the guys are all full of uh, confidence. Right. <laughs> how well they're going to do. And then, uh, you know, it's usually a little bit of a rude awakening. Yeah. Sometimes people, you know, what they don't know doesn't hurt them, and they just kill it. You know? Right. So in 95, and Paula obviously had the great bike ride and she's out there, right? She's got a big yeah. lead in the run. When did you start hearing, or did you hear that she was coming apart a little bit or did you just start feeling better? Well, yeah. Well, I didn't hear it, you know, certainly not on the bike ride. No. Um, yeah. The first part of the run, I knew from the year before that I had, um, caught up like four minutes in the first eight miles in 94 and at least if my splits that I was getting were somewhat correct. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, But then I had sort of fallen, not fallen apart, but I just had lost my kind of uh, the press. Mm-hmm. You know, I was pressing at the beginning of the marathon, and then I kind of realized I couldn't keep it up. So this year I was like, ah, if you can just, you know, it was 12 minutes, and I was just, I was kind of coming up with anything in my head to motivate me. Um, 
And a part of it is I just wanted to get closer to her because having it a blowout, I thought was just bad for the women's TV and yeah, no everything. TV if Paula's just off yeah, the front so again, I, you know, winning I'm number in eight. Second place, but I'm 12 minutes back. It's not even the same. You know, you can't even. Yeah, same. Not the same zip TV code. TV truck would have to sit on the side of the road for how long to get a, <laughs> get a flight of me? Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, get closer, at least make it interesting, you know. So um, I had my head do the same thing you did last time. You catch up four minutes and eight miles, then just keep doing it every eight miles, you know. So I did do that in the first eight, and so that gave me hope. And uh, so then, I, you know, the second eight, I was using that as motivation, like keep up the pace, keep up the pace. And I started to get word probably, you know, after the – and during that second eight mile thing that she was not looking great. Um, and definitely on the last eight miles, I was getting a lot of um, feedback that she was hurting. And I was like, well, she's hurting so much. Why am I still so far behind? <laughs> um, but, you know, it was definitely giving me um, encouragement. Um, and but I honestly did not know I was going to actually get her until I could finally see her, which was not until half mile to go. <laughs> right. Hualalai. I mean, you basically you're you you uh, you make the right turn and you're I mean, really, at that point, what, you're half a mile from the finish. Yeah, yeah. And she's basically staggering. Is that what you, you, she... Yeah, so, well, I'd seen, I'd gotten a glimpse of her right before she turned right on Hualalai, and that's when I was like, oh, my God, she's right there. We're going to be on a leaky drive at the same time. This is the coolest race ever. And so I was, you know, just full of anticipation and um, to get her back in sight because she disappeared from my view when she went down the hill, um, when she took the right. So I kind of, when I did a little TV shot of me coming around that corner, and my whole, like, was like, where is she, where is she? Like, if I can see her, I can maybe run her down. And so I came around the corner, and I spotted her running down Hualalai and was just like, you know, push, push is the biggest race of your career ever, you know, and um, I closed on her super fast, and I was like, wow, that was not as hard as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, you're ready for a sprint. Uh, and then yeah. right before I got to her, that's when she staggered. So, I mean, I, I literally only got to see her for about 30 seconds to a minute, and so during that time, she wasn't staggering until right before I got to her, and then she all of a sudden stopped, put her hands on her knees, and bent over a little bit, and... um and she stopped so suddenly that I almost ran into her, and I kind of patted her on the back as I went around her, and um, and then I, you know, I didn't stop to ask her what's going on. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Just> ran. <laughs> and I'm sure because uh, communication was not great back then. When yeah, you, when, exactly. When you're coming down uh, yeah. on a Lee Drive, does Mike Riley even know it's you? No, no, yeah. So they they'd been getting word, you know, the whole time through that Paula was so far out, you know, such and she's going to be coming soon to win her eighth race, and right. so they were all anticipating that she would be there. And as soon as they saw a figure, a woman running, they just assumed it was her, and they said, "And here comes Paula Newby Fraser," and <laughs> like, wait. Change of plans. Change of plans. Uh, um, but, you know, once I got closer, they recognized that yeah. it wasn't Paula. Um, <laughs> so win- but, yeah, they had no idea what had transpired. No. You know? So winning that race, which is, like you said, that, that was the pinnacle in terms of our sport at that time. We didn't have an Olympic triathlon yet. What did that mean to your career? Uh, yeah, that was definitely bigger than, you know, I'd won, you know, the world championship right. in 90. That, you know, the ITU just didn't get... 
no. The thing Didn't move the needle. It transcends triathlon, you know. Right. It's just it really captures the attention. It was on the wide world of sports, yeah, whatever. NBC, NBC yep. broadcast um, would get people outside the sport, and it brought in sponsors that weren't necessarily yep. um, part of the sport. So, um, yeah, it definitely um, brought me. Although at the time I was with Nike, and they were, you know, they owned um, everything basically. So um, it's not like I. Could, you know, was able to right. They, yeah, it's not like you can on, add but, to more um, sponsors. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I had a really nice contract with Nike at the time too, so they had some bonuses written in that we never anticipated me actually collecting on. There you go. That's why you put those in. Yeah. You never know. And then you know, it's not often. Usually, people do a short distance race and then train for a long distance race. And now, so now you've just finished Ironman, and then you got ITU Worlds coming up. Um, and you go there coming off of, you know, coming off of Ironman, the build up to Ironman, the race of Ironman, running a full marathon. And was it, was this the time where we weren't quite sure if these world championships were going to be draft legal or non-drafting? Yeah, it was right at the uh, crossroads. I think we had pretty much determined, I think we knew they were going to be draft legal, at least by the, t- you know, around that time I, I knew um, but it was the first ever world that drafting was going to be legal. Um, we had done like a Goodwill Games, I think, in '94. Yep. That was uh, the experimental draft legal. Right. Um, so uh, yeah, it was, it was very early on. So we, you know, people were still figuring out strategy and everything. It, it, um, and then they have meeting down there with Les McDonald to talk about drafting or yeah, non-drafting and. I had become a delegate for USA Triathlon, which means I could go to the um, Congress meetings. Right. And uh, so the USA Triathlon, we were kind of one of the un- only countries that was really pushing against allowing drafting. We just kind of felt like, I mean, yeah, you know, we had Our the people like pure. Mike Pig and Mark Allen and, you know, I Dave don't know, Scott. We felt yeah. like, How's a Mike Pig gonna, you know, compete now? Like that's what he does is he blasts the bike and if it's draft legal You take he's that away to have that advantage. And, right. Yeah. It just seemed like it was gonna change the sport and uh It did. Yeah, and I just and I yeah, I kinda felt like the individual nature of it was gonna really change. Um which, you know, to this day I think the biggest drawback about the draft legal format is the fact that it's a team competition. Um and it, at the Olympics, you know, that right. you can have, you know, you have three people that call or a country will decide, okay, we have a ringer that's a good runner and the other two people are just going to be domestiques. Right. And, yep. you know, that, you know. Is that really the spirit of the sport? I remember us thinking back then that really we've never, I've never done that style of racing. I mean, I've never done as an age grouper, I'd never been in it. In fact, we, we looked at. It was almost like somebody had a morals charge if you were a drafter. I mean, it was. It yeah, was, yeah, oh, for you, sure. You, was if you were, so had a reputation as yeah. sitting on somebody's wheel, that there was nothing yeah. worse. Yeah. So we looked at the Olympic champions as you know they're the best cheaters, and it was almost like two separate sports. It was the yeah. there was Olympic format, and then there was you know pure. So yep. it took a lot of. Your, I do understand why they did it. I just think yeah, they you I couldn't mean, the have part of it. The legal, was, you know, the trying to enforce it, and having all that yeah. controversy at the end of a race. You couldn't do it. Using yeah. everyone of drafting. And, right. Yeah. yeah. I, I understand it. So you go off, and, and Les McDonald's basically saying, "Well, you don't like the drafting because you can't do it," and then you end up winning the race. Yeah. <laughs> 
it was uh, <laughs> it was pretty sweet. Stressful. I mean, I I had attended those congresses, and boy, you know, Les bless his heart, you know, he did so much for our sport in yep. terms of you know getting us into the Olympics and everything. But boy, he was ruthless if you were against. Oh, him. I know. Yep. He was just he just had rounded up the troops that we were hated at that Congress, and I just felt it was, I was not a politician. I was no. so stressed out by having to get up and speak and uh, having everyone really kind of out to get us. Um, but um, so I had sort of written off that race. I was like, I've already won Ironman. You know, I'm going to race as good as I can, but no p- huge pressure or right. anything. And um, so ironically, yeah, the draft legal format, especially if, you know, my legs were a little still fatigue from uh hawaii i got to just sit in on the bike <laughs> there you go yeah yeah and and, and, uh, the, and then yeah. i was heat drained from hawaii sure the, the run in cancun it was it was definitely hot and uh that was the one thing i was prepared for so that's pretty cool yeah and, and you also did you win pan am games that year too 95 i did yeah god that's a pretty yeah. cool triple yep yep so okay good year um, then we get into, you know, you win ITU long course championship in 96, but 97, you have the, uh, um, the storm window, uh, encounter, right? Where you end up yep. and then you decide to pull the goalie and you guys became, <laughs> <laughs> you get pregnant. 98. My, my husband's a hockey player. He's, he's a hockey player. Exactly. <laughs> you get hit by a truck in 98, 18 wheeler. That's always nice. And, um, then uh, you you were planning on 1999 Kona and then the Olympic trials. And um, so in 99, you're U.S. Olympic Committee Triathlete of the Year, second Lori Bowden at Kona, flag bearer U.S. Uh, at the Pan Am Games, and then you break your collarbone, right? Three, uh, right, the last race of the season, three weeks after uh, Kona. Yes, so, um, and that happened to be, just about when I was uh, right before the Ironman in '99, I was um, I had done a uh, ultrasound where yeah. they had discovered uh, nodules on my thyroid, and so they had said, you know, you need to do a biopsy. Um, but I had Kona coming up in a few weeks, and yeah. I'm like, can I put it off? And uh, they're like, oh yeah, thyroid cancer is very slow growing, so um, you can put it off till after Ironman. So. Um, I kind of put it in the back of my mind, raced Iron Man, and then I asked, I'm like, well, since it's so slow going, can I do one more race before I do Oh, yeah. And that's that's where you crashed. I went to Mexico. It was a draft legal, and uh, a girl crashed in front of me, and I flipped over my collarbone. Um, and so then I went and got the biopsy done with my broken collarbone, and, um, it turned out to be positive for thyroid cancer, so... Hey, yeah, t- that was a kind of take out your thyroid. The '99 season with the Olympics coming up. In- I know our first ever Olympic triathlon, and you at that point, obviously, you're not racing that, but you you came back and, and watching it, watching it on. Were you able to watch it on TV, or was it hard knowing that oh, you wanted yeah, to be there? No, I did. Um, I mean, I was able to race in the Olympic trials, so I oh, that's know, right. I, I managed to get my collarbone you know, healed in the six weeks, but then I froze my shoulder because I was <laughs> such a good patient trying to get the bone healed. Anyway, so my swimming was definitely the problem with uh, trying to make the team, and, you know, I gave it a good a good shot. Um, so I went to trials in Sydney, um, so I got to race on the Olympic course, which was fun, and that was in April, and then um, there was another Olympic trials in May, um, and just, yeah, swim could not get to the 
front pack where I needed to be to make the team. Oh. Um, but yeah, I, of course I had to watch. It was so exciting. I went, we went to, a um, a bar that we had asked him beforehand if we could make sure it was on. So a whole bunch of my triathlon friends from around here, we all went and watched and, uh, yeah, I, I have to say my, my feeling was it was a little bit like watching a prom that you haven't been invited to and you should, like, it's all your friends. <laughs> like, right. Why am I not there? Uh. So I, I definitely was wistful. I was like, I race against those people all the time. These are, these are my peeps. <laughs> Can't believe it. But then you pop back, 2001, you have five wins, and you go back we go back to Kona and is a 40-year-old mom with a cancer survivor, and that was a great story, fifth woman. Yeah, yeah, that was a good, yeah, that was, uh, you know, I think after 99, I really appreciated any time I got back to the starting line there. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of everything was gravy after that in a way. No, I kept racing professionally because I could. You, you know? liked so, it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 40, I mean, I, yeah. I, I never, I still haven't ever announced a retirement. <laughs> Why? You can still go for, you can still sign up, man. You got another Olympics coming up in 2021. <laughs> you got an extra year. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just, um. Kind of started fading away, but uh, I raced a pro race even at age uh, 50 and, and earned prize money. Wow. Uh, and then you did Kona in 05. You were 44 and still top 10. Yep. I think I was top 10 one more time, too, after that. Wow. Uh, maybe in 06 or 07 or something. Nice. Good for you, Kara. Um, and then another year that I was 11th, and I just thought I was so far out of it that I um, – I was, yeah, kind of ran out of a little mojo towards the end. Yeah. And when I found out that I was 11th and there was only a girl like a minute ahead of me, I was like, I could have been top 10 again. Uh, I was so mad at myself for not like driving to the finish for every mile that I could, you know? That's so cool. Of course, so, hindsight, uh, yeah. you just say, oh, I could have gone harder if I'd known. But, you know, at the time, you're suffering so badly. So we now have this pro, pro triathletes organization. And you are the captain of the women's team for the Collins Cup. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm really loving what they're doing, putting some real dollars behind the pros. Yeah, yeah. No, it's super exciting. And, you know, it's uh, the, the format's going to be so different that, it, you know, it may end up being some tweaks along the way. But for now, I think it's a, it's a really interesting format. And you look at what, Say the you know the Tiger Woods and uh, Peyton Manning you know the golf thing they just did. Yep, uh, it's a, it's modeled a little bit after the Ryder Cup, you know, and so with the um, the idea is to make it an interesting matchup between these three regions: the U.S., the Europeans, and the internationals, which is like uh, Australia, Canada, yeah, type Australia, of thing. New yeah, Zealand, Canada, whatever. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we and then there's, you qualify based on rankings, which, you know, unfortunately this year because of the coronavirus, we didn't have the event. It happened just recently, um, but it's been delayed a year. Um, but in a way, because the people that get to go are based, uh, the top four um, from each country is done by rankings. And um, so, in a way, I mean, in, and if you get to go to the Collins Cup, if you're, like, in those rankings, um, it's it's appearance fee. So it's it's big money just to be able to go. Oh, yeah, so big time. I think there's going to be – it's going to add a lot of interest. The last 
before we announced it um, for this May, there wasn't as much time for people to, like, look at their ranking and be like, wait, wait, if I do another race and get my ranking up to this, then I, I might get a $25,000 payout. You know? Right. So I think now people have more time to, like, look at their ranking and figure out, um, you know, the best way to get in that top four for their region um, or good. for their country. And I think that's going to add some pretty cool interest. I do too, and I what I like a, yeah, and what's cool is they they even though the event didn't happen this year, they paid out that million dollars in yeah. to those athletes yep. based on their their rankings from last year, which is that's really a sign of good faith and yeah, something that yeah, and it comes at such a time that I'm sure yes. athletes really really appreciate it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Karen, thank you so much for taking so much time. Always, oh, it's my pleasure, a, Rob. Thank always you for a pleasure me. to chat with Hope somebody. Good work and all your uh, great um, money raised for we're trying and everything is fantastic. And I'm bummed we didn't get to see each other on one of the hills there in Boston. Oh, in Boston, I know. And now September, it's gone. Too. Next year, next year, we'll all do right, it next, next April. Year, sure. I'll be in my Elvis outfit. You'll be out in front and uh, <laughs> of your house, and we'll, well uh, see each other. My daughter was planning on running this year, you know. So, oh. Uh, I was at one point. I was like, "Oh, well, yeah, I should run it with you," but I didn't quite get my act together. But maybe next next, next year, April, I will. I love it. Karen Smyers has been our guest. Everybody, again, this is Babbittville Radio. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by You Can Smarter Energy to Finish Stronger, by Velofix, the world's coolest mobile bike shops, by Norma Tech, by Form Goggles, and by our Challenged Athletes Foundation. We just sent out 3,921 grants, totaling $5.9 million to keep challenge athletes in the game of life through sport. Check us out on babbittville.com, on iTunes, iHeart, and as always, endurance lives here.